Good day, brothers and sisters, and welcome to New Creation Realities. And we're going to go ahead and continue with our lessons in Christ. And today we're going to look at the next uh, passage, verse in the scriptures, where we find the two terms in Christ. Uh, last, Our last lesson, we saw a passage in Romans, and for this lesson, we're going to see two more verses in the book of Romans as well. They're both in Romans chapter 6, and so I went ahead and just grouped them together, and they both have to do with uh, life, the life the life of Christ particularly. <clears throat> and uh, I want us to look at those. Okay, I don't know if I'll make those comments, but uh, just some things that were on my heart earlier this morning. Well, yeah, I'll just go ahead and make them anyway. Um, this, in in just considering, you know, going over notes and thinking about the class this morning. Uh, this is what these are some thoughts that came to my to my heart to my mind. Uh, the first one: if we are truly going to continue on with the Lord. We must be willing to follow the Holy Spirit into the unfamiliar greatness of Christ. We are always taking steps into the unknown, into the unfamiliar with the Lord. Because it is God the Father who knows the Son. If it were our knowing, brothers and sisters, it would be corruptible. It would be... It wouldn't be God's knowing, <laughs> as, as God knows the truth. Um, also, another, another uh, thing that came to my heart was God leads us with the intent of discovering Christ anew. This is always the case. We will forever, throughout all eternity, be discovering the eternal Son of the living God. That's it, brothers and sisters. That is, that is it. We, be, we can begin serving that purpose in our generation now. <clears throat> so, once again, uh, looking at the terms in Christ, Strong's number 1722, N, and uh, Strong's number 5547, Cristo, in Christ. The first verse excuse me, the next verse that we're looking at is in Romans chapter 6, verse 11. It says, Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Alive to God in Christ. <clears throat> and then uh, in Christ, Jesus our Lord. But there's, there's our two terms, in Christ, our two words, in Christ, that we're looking at. Uh, the next verse is still in Romans chapter 6. It's actually verse 23, further on down. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, having, having received Christ Himself, having received the Son of God Himself, we have, in fact, received eternal life, whom Christ himself is. By this very 
eternal life by this very one, we now live unto God. Before, <clears throat> before there was no life unto God whatsoever. In fact, we were dead in sins. We're actually going to read that in a little bit. Before we were dead in sins, we were dead. And just even as an example in the natural, what communication does a corpse have with those who are naturally physically alive? There is no communication whatsoever going on between, between them. None whatsoever. And if we think there is, then uh, it's our vain imagination. You know? So before we were born again, we were indeed dead, having no life whatsoever. God, in His tender mercy and ever-abounding grace, through the work and by the work of the Holy Spirit, caused our hearts to respond, caused our soul to respond to the voice of the living one. And in that response, we received life. We received everything our souls were created to receive of God the moment we received Christ himself. And so from this moment onward, all there is, brothers and sisters, is the knowing of the one we have, past tense, already received. <clears throat> That's really what it's all about. The, the continual discovery of the one who is present in the midst. It's like the, the journey of Abraham. That's all that he did when he walked throughout the length, the breadth, the width, the height of, the, of Canaan. That's all basically there was to do, was to discover the one who was present filling the land, who is the Lord himself. <clears throat> so... I want us to go ahead and read this other verse <clears throat> that we've been looking at, and we looked at it several times in our previous classes, uh, because it will come into play with these verses that we're looking at in Romans. <clears throat> it's John chapter 14, verse 20. This is Jesus himself speaking to his disciples uh, for the time when they would be born again. In that day you will know, and that's very important right there, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. There's one of the terms we're looking at, in. In. Okay? In that day you will know this union. In that day you will know this relationship. And I want us to look at the word know right there, K-N-O-W. Give me just a second, and I will pull it up. <clears throat> no. Gnoseste. In the Greek, Strong's number 1097. This is the Strong's uh, definition. For this word, a prolonged form of a primary verb, to know, and in parentheses, absolutely. Then it goes on, in a great variety of applications and with many implications as follow, with others not thus clearly expressed. 
And he goes on to give how it's uh, translated. But I love that. To know absolutely. And I use this example often in many different ways, trying to uh, just get a point across. But if you look at my pen right here, hopefully you can see it. And if I ask you what color it is, I hope you say red. Now, it is, it is a red pen, and it is actually a color red as well. Now, it may be a particular uh, shade of red, but it is red nonetheless. I was speaking and I presented something to you. You who are viewing, you who are, well, if you're listening, you have to view this, or if you just kind of picture it in your mind. I was speaking and I presented something to you. Therefore, you heard and you saw the object that I was speaking of. Having seen the object, you know absolutely, without doubt, the color of the object. Therefore, there is no way possible that I can now deceive you by saying, well, it's actually green. No, it's not. You would have to say, Jimmy, you're colorblind, or you just don't see colors at all. We're absolutely convinced, based upon what we have seen, based upon what we have heard. This all comes into play, brothers and sisters. Once again, John chapter 14, verse 20. At that day, in that day, in, because it's, our, it's one of our words, in, Strong's number 1722, N, that day you will know absolutely that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. <clears throat> so now, Romans chapter 6, uh, just to get a little bit of the context of, of the two verses, verse 11 and verse 23, I want to read uh, several parts of the verses just to get the, the context of it. And it actually begins with uh, the discussion, just a little bit of the discussion, begins with Romans chapter 5. I'll start with verse 20 to, to 21, the last two verses of chapter 5. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. <clears throat> he goes on to say, Romans chapter 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? <clears throat> Based on the previous statements. Certainly not. How shall we, and I love this, how shall we who died to sin live any longer there in it? Verse 3. Or do you not know? Now this no is a different uh, <clears throat> is a different no, K-N-O-W, than the one we looked at in John chapter 14, 20. But let's look at that word, no. That's verse uh, 3. Or do you not know is Strong's number 50. Here's the Strong's definition. 
from Strong's number one as a negative particle and Strong and Strong's number 3539. Not to know through lack of information or intelligence by implication to ignore through disinclination. Translated into the English as be ignorant, ignorant, ignorantly, not know, not understand, unknown. Okay. Back to my example. <clears throat> to know absolutely makes all the difference in the world. I want us to look at another passage just as just as well. This is uh, this is in First Samuel. Chapter 17, and basically the, the, the passage starts, the whole story starts with verse 1 through, gosh, maybe the whole chapter. I want to pick up with verse 8, and the context of this is basically David and Goliath. Now, in today's modern, uh, modern age of... 2019, 2019, yeah, 2019. <laughs> I have to make sure I'm in the right year. 2019, uh, we determine things differently than they did in antiquity, in like Stone Age, Iron Age, those those times. And one of the things that I want to bring as an example is basically this: when there were two, when there were two right. armies fighting. The way they determined who won was based upon whether the king was captured or the king died of one of the armies. Now, it wasn't so much in seeing that a king was dead, because what if both kings died in a battle? Who won? Who knows? The true determining factor of a victory would be in seeing the king who remained alive. First Samuel <clears throat> chapter 17, starting with verse 8. Then Goliath stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and, and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly, greatly, greatly afraid. This guy was a giant. He was enormous. And when they looked at him, all he wanted was one competitor. One champion of the Israelites to come and battle with him. The whole battle, the whole war would be determined upon two going into battle 
and one remaining alive. That would be the victor. <clears throat> so going on. He goes on, uh, verse 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. The Philistines setting their champion before Israel, that Israel as well might set their champion before the Philistines. Verse 31, and excuse me, our AC just turned on, so it's going to be a little hard of, to hear. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> verse 31, now when the words which David spoke were heard, oh, okay, now, so David shows up on the scene, and he's basically bringing some food to his brothers that Jesse, his father, told him to do. And um, so he shows up on the scene and says, hey, what will be done for the man that uh, defeats this Philistine? Or, or what's the kind of wanting to know what's going on uh, with the situation at hand. So when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, because of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth. And he a man, a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to, used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it, struck it, and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it, arose, and it when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing, seeing he has defile, defied, defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord, here we go. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Skipping down to verse 42. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with, with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David with by his gods. Verse 49, then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. So that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Verse 51, therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. When the Philistines saw their head was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And then it goes on and... Okay, let me keep on reading. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Shaharim, Jaharim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. 
Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. And, but he put his armor in his tent. Okay. <clears throat> so the enemy sees their head dead. The Israelites see their champion alive. That's the difference. Before, <clears throat> before they see, they hear the taunting of the enemy, they see this, this, this fortress of an enemy before them, and they fear. I mean, we read it in the scriptures, they fear. Of course, they, they were looking at the enemy and they weren't looking at the Lord. Here's David. He meets the challenge in the name of the Lord and defeats the enemy. And when the Israelites see their champion alive, having conquered the champion of the enemy, the head of the enemy, then there's boldness. Based upon what Goliath had said, if I win, you serve us. If you win, we serve you. <clears throat> Back to Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Or do you not know? Well, I'll start with verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know, and that was the case, that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, Jesus, and that word into is one of the definitions that we looked at with the word in, in Strong's number 1722, uh, where was it? Intermediate between Strong's number 1519, which this word is, into Christ, I'll read it real quick. It's it's ace or ice, a primary preposition to or into, indi indicating the point reached or entered past tense, the point having been reached or the point having been entered already. So then, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, Jesus, we're baptized, here we go, here's the word again, into his death. Remember, previous lessons, the pickle. Remember, the cucumber to the pickle, baptized, bapto en baptizo, prepared with hot water, baptized in vinegar. There's no going back. Once it's baptized, in the vinegar, it's a pickle. No longer can return to being a cucumber. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, verse 4, we were buried with him through baptism into death. There's the word again, into death. That, or so that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, 
even so we also should walk in newness of life. Because our life is Christ. Even, listen to the way I say this, even as our life, who Christ is, rose and from the dead, from the grave, and lives unto God, even so we also should walk in newness of the life we have received. I'll go on. Romans chapter 6, verse 5. For if, and that's a conditional statement, but I want to make this statement, the condition is met if one is born again. All right? So verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6, Knowing this. And there is our word, knowing, that we looked at in John chapter 14, verse 20. It's a similar, it's the basic, let's see, the basic same word, Strong's number 1097. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, bless you, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. There's the word again, the conditional statement. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ. And there's our, our two words, in Christ Jesus our Lord. But, Reckon, and we're going to look at that word reckon in a little bit. Uh, Romans going on with, still in Romans chapter 6, verse 12 through 14. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. Verse 13, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. And how can we do this? Because our life is Christ. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Under grace. And then he goes on, what shall we say then? Shall we... Sin be, uh, shall we sin because we are no not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know? This is a different no. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves to obey, you are that one's slaves uh, whom you obey, whether 
of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Verse 17, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, past tense, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Going on further, still in chapter 6, let's read verse 22. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And just think of the children of Israel when they were in bondage to Pharaoh in Egypt, the abode of the dead. A cruel taskmaster, a cruel king ruled and reigned over them. In fact, they were there about 400 years. Some were born in that condition and never knew anything but that condition. Nothing they could do could escape the condition of bondage to death, in death, that they were in. We know that God did miracles, signs, and wonders, plagues He sent, all these things, and yet they were still among the dead, as dead. Egypt, representing the abode of the dead. Finally, God says, this is what I'm going to do. The Lord begins speaking, this is what I'm going to do. And you will take a lamb, and you will slay that lamb. You will put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost and lintel. You will enter in through the door. You will eat the lamb, and then the lamb will be on the inside. And I will judge the whole entire realm the whole entire rule and reign of Pharaoh. And so then, Moses goes and declares the word of God. There were those, obviously, who heard and believed, namely the Israelites, and I think there was a mixed multitude as well. And then there were those who did not believe. They did indeed hear. I mean, Pharaoh and his court heard. Moses speak, but they refused to believe. And so the ones who did believe, who heard what God had said, who received what God had presented, a lamb, and believed, did accordingly, based upon what they believed of the Lord who spoke. They slay the lamb, The lamb appears, they slay the lamb, they put the door, they put the blood on the doorposts and lentils, they go in through the door, they partake of the lamb, the lamb is on the inside, judgment comes upon all, upon the firstborn. Here is represented one head of an entire creation, of an entire humanity, of of an entire race, of an entire enemy, Not only seen in Pharaoh, but ultimately the Adamic man. And here the lamb 
representing a totally different head altogether. The Apostle Paul later on in, in one of his other epistles, he says, Christ being crucified, he spoiled principalities, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them in the cross. When the Lamb was slain, there's the angel bringing judgment upon a, a land bringing death everywhere. Judgment came to everything. When the angel came and saw the door, excuse me, saw the, yes, saw the door with the blood, the response is basically, oh, judgment has already come because death has already come to this house. The ultimate declaration of Egypt, of Pharaoh and his kingdom is we are dead. Yes, that's it. Exodus 12.33, when one died, all died. Paul, did, Paul does not, the Apostle Paul doesn't make things up out of his mind. No, he goes, he refers to the Scriptures. Exodus chapter 12, verse 33. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we all dead. The Lamb bringing the condition of death to death to an end. We all know <clears throat> that from the death, now there must be the burial. Israel goes into the Red Sea. Egypt goes into the Red Sea as well. What is dead must be buried. And yet we know that only Israel came out of the grave in type, in testimony, in resurrection. Egypt did not. Now, now you have the children of Israel, and you, you hear the Lord telling Moses, to tell the children of Israel, you saw what I did to the Egyptians. The judgments, the death, the burial, you saw what I did to the Egyptians and how that I bore you on eagle's wings unto myself, resurrection. Even though their natural feet were planted on a natural earth, in type and in testimony, their souls were now found in resurrection. So here they are in the wilderness, the children of Israel. Pharaoh is not present. Pharaoh and the power thereof has been destroyed. Pharaoh is not present. There is no taskmaster, ta taskmaster there before them while the children of Israel are seemingly in the wilderness I call of ignorance. And yet they act as though Pharaoh were present. Even one of the conversations, oh, the leeks, the melons. There are no leeks. There are no melons. The onions, not here. No. Those things were found among the dead. 
that state, that condition that they were in in times past came to an end. When the lamb was slain, there is now a new state, a new condition based upon the fact of a new king being present, having won, having spoiled principalities, powers, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. The difference, brothers and sisters, is this. There were those who both saw and therefore knew the one who is present in the midst. Moses, of course, being one of them. It says, Moses, or the Lord spoke to Moses as a man speaks to his friend face to face. Joshua, another. Caleb, another. Phineas, another. And there were others as well. They saw the king who was present. Therefore, they walked in the rule, in the reign, in the kingdom that was present, knowing that the previous condition was no longer there, was no longer past tense, was not present. They knew their new condition, their new state of being based upon the king who is present. Jesus says this, at that day you will know absolutely that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you in a union with Christ. Therefore, the apostle can say, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who liveth in me. And we all know Paul's declaration. Everything began with the Apostle Paul. For him, as far as walking in reality, knowing reality, walking in the truth, knowing the truth, walking in the light, knowing the light, walking before the face of Christ when the Lord appeared unto him when he was on his way to Damascus. Acts chapter 16 chapter 26, verse 16. <clears throat> Going on, let's see. I think I read the whole passages. Likewise, uh, I'll just read again, Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, to that condition. You're dead to it but alive to God, here's why, in Christ Jesus our Lord. You take Christ out of the picture, you're still in that condition, and you're not alive to God. You're as dead as dead can be. But for the one who is born again, Christ is everything, brothers and sisters. Where Christ is present, there is a new condition of the soul. 
Life is the condition of the soul. Salvation is the condition of the soul because Christ, the Son of God, is present. Verse 23 of Romans chapter 6, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. Excuse me. In Christ Jesus our Lord. I wanted to read, with the time we have left, a couple of, uh, what are they? Let's look. Some definitions, some commentaries. Yeah. This is uh, the Bible Knowledge Commentary for Romans. I was actually looking at Romans chapter 11, searching that out when I came across it, but it's actually for Romans chapter 5 through, uh, chapter 6, excuse me, chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. Uh, I'll just read verse 5 real quick. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Old man crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. All right. That's what the commentary is on. Bible knowledge commentary for Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. The first clause, the first if, should be translated since, not if. So, since we have become united in the likeness of his death, because the statement is assumed to be true and is true, it affirms the certainty of the second clause in the sentence, which promises that the believers are united with Christ in the likeness of his resurrection. You saw what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings unto myself. In that day, you will know, you will know absolutely. Remember, once having seen, you know. No one can deceive you about the color of this pen. Oh, it's white. No, it's not white. Oh, well, it's green. No, it is not green. Now, in searching uh, for particular commentary, I could not find it, so I'm just going to read it. In now, I came close to it in an English commentary, but this is an actual. This is actually a Spanish commentary. It's. Uh, the, for its notes from the Reina Valera revision 1995 for Romans chapter 6 verse 11. Now these are the passages for verse 11. Let me go ahead and read verse 11 just real quick. Likewise you also reckon, and that's the word we're going to be looking at, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right. So this, I'm going to go ahead and translate it. Once again, this, these are the 
Reina Valera, 1995 Bible Notes. Reckon, for the word reckon, the Greek verb is the same that appears in chapter 4, basically Romans chapter 4, verse 3, with the sense of accounted. And basically, let's, let's go look there real quick. Uh, Romans, what did I say? Romans 4, 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted, there's the word, accounted to him for righteousness. Okay. Uh, it's the same sense of the verb, the Greek verb. It doesn't have to do with a simple opinion, but that the believer recognize that by his union with Christ, he is really dead in respect to sin, but alive to God. Based upon his union with Christ, the union, the very first verse we looked at, brothers and sisters, from the very beginning of these lessons, John chapter 14, verse 20, in that day you will know, know absolutely that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Brothers and sisters, this happens at the moment of new birth because Christ is present. If Christ is not present in the soul, then the person is not born again. But if Christ is present in the soul, the person is born again. And because Christ is present, now the soul is present in union with Christ. Is now The soul is now found in life, who Christ is, eternal life. The life we have is the very life we have received, received of God. Before new birth, we did not have life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Before we were born again, we did not have life. We had an existence, but it was not life until Christ appears in our soul, until we are born again. Then we have life. I mean, even, even the Lord told Moses, tells the children of Israel, even while they were in among the dead, bound to the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Pharaoh, the enemy, the Lord says, concerning the Passover, this will be your beginning. This will be the beginning of months for you. It all starts here. So much greater, brothers and sisters, when we are born again. Life begins not when we are birthed of, of our natural parents, of our natural mother, no, no, no. Life, eternal life, who Christ is, begins when we are birthed of the seed of God, the incorruptible seed, Christ himself, new birth, born again. That's when we begin. Yeah, so going on, let's see where we're at. Because of our union with Christ, it doesn't deal with a simple opinion. 
but that the believer recognize that because of his union with Christ, he is really dead in respect to sin and really alive to God. This is the Bible background commentary for Romans chapter 6, verse 11. I'm just going to read portions of it. Until the time of the Messiah. Oh, yeah, wow, this just caught my, my attention. Um, Jewish teachers believed that the evil impulse, uh, see comments on chapter 7, verse 14, 25. I guess it's when uh, Paul is saying, that which I desire to do, I don't do, and that which I don't desire to do, that I do, that thing. Uh, Jewish teachers believed that the evil impulse would trouble even the most pious until the time of the Messiah, when the evil impulse would be slain. For Paul, the Messiah has come, and sin's power has been killed has been broken. The finished work of Christ means that the believer has already died to sin. I'm just reading this. And now needs to acknowledge this, to reckon it done in faith. This is the same term for God's reckoning righteousness in chapter 4, which uh, we read. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This was, of course, Paul goes on to say, before he was circumcised, before there was any outward sign okay, <clears throat> of the reality that already had taken place. Okay, this is Wiest's word studies uh, from the Greek New Testament for Romans chapter 6, verse 11. He, the believer, is to do two things. One, reckon himself dead to sin, to reckon himself alive to God. He goes on. The word reckon is logizomai, to reckon, count, compute, to take into account. Here Paul is exhorting the saints that uh, in their endeavor to live a life in accordance with the word of God, they should take into account, listen to the way he puts this, the fact that they are dead to sin, that they have been disengaged from the evil nature, that it has no power over them anymore, that they are scot-free from it and can, can say a point-blank no to it. Also, to take into account the fact that they are alive to God, that is, that the divine nature has been imparted with the result that the nature given them both the desire and the power to regulate their lives in accordance with the word of God. And why is this so, brothers and sisters? Because we have received Christ, who is the incorruptible seed, the incorruptible nature, the incorruptible eternal life himself. Therefore, we are indeed dead to sin, just as Christ is dead to sin. Christ, who is our life, who is dead to sin, our life is dead to sin. And I'm not playing with words. 
If we are born again, Christ is our life. The difference comes. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Till that time, brothers and sisters, there is doubt. There is fear. There's everything else. There is ignorance of the one who is present, who is victorious, who lives, rules, and reigns. Remember, even though the children of Israel did not recognize the Lord in the midst, he gave them sign and sign and testimony and testimony, one after the another, that they might see the sign and believe the truth. Though they didn't think that the kingdom of God was present, the kingdom of God was present in the midst because they were governed by a cloud by day and a fire by night. The glory of God governed them in the wilderness. Life rules and reigns. They were no longer in Egypt under that condition, in that condition, bound to that condition. Life rules and reigns. Even so for us, brothers and sisters, because the king is present, the kingdom has come. If not, we would not have life. But since we are born again, because Christ is present, we have everything of God present in the person of Christ himself, lacking nothing. So, Weist goes on to say, Now reckoning oneself dead to sin and alive to God does not make one so. Reckoning it doesn't make it so. He goes on to say, thank God he didn't leave us there. <laughs> he goes on to say, God constituted the saint so when he saved him. This is so by God, the moment of new birth. But the act of reckoning brings into better operation with beneficial results, the working of this inner spiritual machinery. And then he goes on to give this example. And I thought the example was kind of, well, kind of silly, but it is, it's an example nonetheless. It's basically like a, playing a game. Uh, and, well, I'll just go ahead and read it. I, I, I wasn't going to read it, but I'll go ahead and read it. We've got a little bit of time. For instance, uh, there is a game in which a blindfolded person is brought into the room and made to stand on the table board, which rests on some books on the floor. Two young men lift the board about one foot, and when the young man, uh, excuse me, and warn the young man not to bump his head against the ceiling. So he's blindfolded. Thinking that he is near the ceiling, he loses his balance and falls off. 
he lost his balance and fell because he reckoned himself where he was not. Just so, a Christian who fails to count upon the fact that the power of the sinful nature is broken in his life fails to get consistent victory over it with the result that he lives a mediocre Christian life. He reckoned himself where he was not. Brothers and sisters, if we are born again, our life is not found among the dead. We were among the dead once, before life appeared in our soul, before Christ appeared in our soul. But just just as the testimony of the two witnesses, the two angels at the tombs, for the Marys that were there, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not there. He's risen. Brothers and sisters, our life is a risen life. Our life is Christ himself. Eternal life. It goes on. Another young man is blindfolded and stood on the board. He knows the game. When the board is lifted and he is warned not to bump his head against the ceiling, he remains perfectly straight and maintains his equilibrium because he reckoned himself where he was. And so it is with a Christian who counts upon the fact that the power of the sinful nature is broken. He knows that he does not have to obey it and that he has the power to say no to it and he turns his back on it and does what is right. Well, the better example would have been and then the other person that plays their game stands on the board, takes the blindfold off and says, I know what's going on. Do whatever you want. There's a reckoning, brothers and sisters, not based upon hope, hope having not seen, but a reckoning, brothers and sisters, based upon seeing, based upon faith, having seen. With a reference to Abraham, when it was reckoned to him for righteousness, accounted to him for righteousness, that whole passage, you can look at it. It says the Lord brought Abraham, or Abram at the time, forth abroad. Several of the Jewish commentators, teachers, they all agree that what happened was that the Lord brought Abraham out from the temporal realm into the eternal. And so this the Lord does with Abram at the time. And he says this, Look now towards the heavens and see that which fills the heavens. So shall your seed be. But what does the Lord say? Look. Look above. What does Abram do? Looks and sees the ones, the one singular, who, the one seed singular who fills the heavens. By seeing, he believed, and God saw his belief and reckoned it unto him, accounted it to him for righteousness. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. 
the Lord, the one who is present, the living one. John on the Isle of Patmos, there's a light of the candlesticks, the seven golden candlesticks, representing the perfect testimony of Christ in the church, declaring Christ. The light of the church is the testimony of Jesus Christ, which testimony is designed of God to direct our hearts unto the true light of the world, who Christ himself is. So then John says, And in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I saw one. And then he goes on to say, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. I saw the living one. And therefore, I reckoned I no longer live. And then, of course, Jesus he says he places his hand over upon him and says, I was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. I am he that liveth, and I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. I would say I, I've got one more commentary. I'm not going to read it because basically it's just a repetition of what I've already shared. My brothers and sisters, I'll read the two verses again in Romans. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everything, my brothers and sisters, is because Christ, the Son of the living God, is present in our soul. We are alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the Lord bless you. We'll see you in our next lesson. Amen.